Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. and Welcome to another episode of Awakening Universal Minds. It is Thursday, April 6, 2017. I want to welcome everybody to the show uh, this evening, um, what we're uh, going to get into, uh, our topic, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, briefly, if you are uh, brand new to the show, it's your first time tuning in. Uh, this is an occult uh, left-hand path origin of ancient Egypt, uh, black magic, Afri- African witchcraft, uh, sorcery, uh, the occult added to the black arts, things in relation to those particular fields of study, that's what this show is about. Uh, it's not a religious show. Just want to make that uh, crystal clear um, before we proceed. So if you are a new listener and uh, you stumbled across the show, say by chance, somebody told you, uh, we just want to be crystal clear on the subject matter of the show. Uh, the stuff that we talk about on the show, uh, myself and, and Brother Ivana Noon, uh, we speak from a perseverance perspective. Uh, when we're mentioning um, different esoterical orders, uh, initiatic orders, uh, et cetera, we're, we're talking from experience. When we're, we're talking about these African traditions, uh, be it um, Yoruba, Ifa, Palo, et cetera, we're, we're speaking from experience. We've, we've walked those paths. Now, we, again, we bring that up not because it's mandatory to be initiated or uh, be a part of any of the aforementioned uh, but again, as we say week in and week out, for the sole purpose of getting the experience and teaching from the experience factor. Unfortunately, we got too much YouTube conspiracies and bullshit uh, that it goes on out there. Uh, actually, before I came on there, speaking of that, I just thought I'd throw this out there. I thought it was funny. I get notifications from people that, uh, <laughs> this is good. You're going to like this, Ravana. No, this, 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 this is fucking good. And this could, this, this confirms what I say week in and week out and what we t- tell people. Sad thing is melanated people want to be entertained. They really don't want to learn shit. I get a notification that uh, Sadnetta is interviewing Snoop Doggy Dog on 125th Street. Okay? Hope everybody's following that. So every, every buffoon and coon is, is contacting this one, and everybody's acting like, you know, so I, so I go tune in. It turns out it's a, some dude that looks like him. I swear, it's, 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 it's streaming right now. You can go look at it right now. I'm sure you ain't making this shit up. It just proves my point. People want to be entertained. You understand what I'm saying? And the bottom line is it's pretty pathetic that Sadnetta would put a title out there for live stream to try to lure people in to watch the show. Basically, he's interviewing some dude that looks like him that went somewhere and they and mistaken they mistaken him for Snoop Dogg and, and it's just, just stupid fucking shit. I mean, I'm just like, it, it just confirms what this whole conscious thing has become is a circus now. It's just becoming a complete circus. 
So when I when I hit it just to see what was going on, I thought it was like, man, I watched that shit for about thirty seconds, and I'm I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. But anyway, that's that, that's a whole other story. Uh, but again, so the topics that we speak about, again, coming from an uh, experience perspective. Um, what I will, I'll, I'll probably wait till, the, till we get more people tuning in when it's kind of full and make some announcements of, uh, you know, some upcoming events. I'll just throw them out there real quick, and I definitely will repeat it again uh, later. Uh, we do have the uh, the flyers are, are in the process of being finished for the upcoming events this month, uh, so we'll get those out to people um, as soon as they're done. Uh, we have received several emails, I believe six to seven as of date of, of out-of-state people traveling, uh, and some here local, actually. Some first-time is local. Uh, received a few emails here from the state of Florida, uh, either via the YouTube channel or the show. Um, so those, those flyers will be getting sent out shortly with all the information that you need will be on them uh, for the uh, event on April 28th at Cultural Expressions, 7.30 p.m. start time. Uh, and then the class uh, the next day, which is uh, the 29th, of, you know, Saturday the 29th of April at uh, Sophia's Garden, 7.30 p.m. Uh, also, what we, we're incorporating this month, and we're going to try to do it low, more so locally here, but if anybody uh, is you know, in the area, you're more than welcome to come, it, uh, drumming on the beach. Uh, we're going to start that actually on the 15th, and we're going to try to do one of those a month. Um, out here in North Fort Lauderdale and uh, Pompano Beach. Um, so we got one. Uh, that flyer will go out, too, with all the information on it. Uh, and that's just an open event, more of a family, uh, you know, orientated type of night. Uh, anybody is welcome to that. No, no particulars. Uh, we'll just be uh, drumming on the beach for a couple hours at nighttime, kind of hanging out, socializing. Um, and, again, anybody's welcome to that event. Uh, more so for us here in, in Florida, but if uh, anybody's in the area, anybody's welcome to um, attend that event. So we'll be trying to incorporate one of those per month out on the beach. Um, and, again, that's for the whole family. Um, so, again, those flyers will, will go out shortly. They are actually formatted, just haven't had a, we haven't had a chance to put them together and get them uh, completely finished. But uh, they should be out by the weekend, and we'll get that information over because I know I've received emails, people asking about uh, you know, the flyers. Uh, so that's coming shortly. Um, uh, having said that, uh, Ravon, I don't know if you want to briefly go ahead and, uh, sure. <clears throat> uh, this is brother Ravon Noon. Uh, once again, glad to be on the show. Um, tonight's topic, uh, hopefully people who are listening are not weak, feeble minded, uh, so extremely opinionated that they can't um, open their minds to travel on this journey with us to get a little more insight on how Anpu, Anubis, the underworld, all ties into your subconscious, unconscious mind. And um, unfortunately, we have had individuals in the past who listen to the show and still coming from a religious perspective. Uh, as Brother Beniti said, we traveled the religious path, we traveled the spiritual path, meaning the sacred orders, secret orders, secret societies, whatever you want to call them. We traveled the African spiritual tradition path all to get to this point where we see that the biggest um, purpose of many of our lives is to master yourself. 
And to master yourself, you have to be able to confront yourself on all levels and all topics that you may not so readily accept about yourself, which is the good, bad, ugly, and beautiful, which is not just the strength and not just the wonderful parts that we accomplish and succeed in. That's easy to do. But what about the parts that you feel weak about? What about your 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 traumas, your your wounds, your stress, your your anger, all these things that you hold, hide, or suppress because you're told that some ma- mystical, magical place is awaiting you called heaven, and if you just annihilate and suppress every part of you, then you'll become a wonderful human being and you'll be accepted with open arms, or that you're 144,000 coons waiting for some Anunnaki or some Neturu or some shit to come and save you in the mothership. Niggas been waiting for that mothership since the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. We're in 2017. Where's the mothership, Benidi? Where's the mothership? Um, and, and, and and the sad thing is you still got some people waiting for it in 2017. That's the sad yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to they're gonna be waiting in 2020, 2030. Exactly. See, exactly. There's all these future dates to keep you tuned in to wishes, hopes, and dreams and to follow somebody when the ultimate truth and the purpose of this show is to assist, share, and and uh, come to a dialogue on how to become a master of self, meaning mastering every part of yourself and utilizing every aspect of yourself to become greater than you were today. How can you do that? That's what we deal with on this show. So we deal with various topics that go into this, these various parts, but all of it always will tie back into your unconscious, subconscious mind and how to tap into that abyss and that void that you have in there that all humans, not just people listening to the show, but mostly all humans are afraid of that, that moment in time where they have to face their abyss they have to go deep into their themselves to find out the pains and traumas that are affecting them today, that are causing strife in your world today, that's causing uh, behavioral issues, psychological issues, anything like that. People are afraid to do that because they're afraid of the demons that they've created within themselves, not the demon as in the, the higher or the truer self, the integrated self that you're trying to connect with. No. I'm talking about the demons that you created, the monsters, the uh, the uh, fears, the the boogeyman, all these things you created because of yourself. This is what we deal with. If if you can't handle that, well, then look for another show that massages your ego, makes you feel great. Peace. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and a lot of things centered around uh, what, what Ravana Noon had ju- just spoken about. The ritual on the 28th is, is basically built around uh, exactly what he was just speaking about. Um, the best thing I can tell you, you know, without, you know, telling you too much, is it's about getting in contact with your true self, okay? I'm talking about your real true self, not not what you think your true self is there's a difference because we all you know have these created images and personalities and uh you know 
things we create about ourselves that we want people to see us as. That's not your true self. Uh, again, as I've said before in the past, the purpose of ritual is for transformation on a multitude of levels, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Uh, and also that transformation is, is something that is, is consistently long-lasting. It's, it's not just for the moment at the time that you do the ritual. When a ritual is done correctly in its right form, it's something that stays with you uh, pretty much permanently. It's something that's embedded in your subconscious. What do I mean by that? Um, very important. What I simply mean by that is it's something you can draw upon in future situations, um, the symbolicism of it, what it means, uh, because when one goes through a particular ritual, ritual, especially initiation type of ritual, uh, one is able to reflect back on the symbolicisms, what they meant, and that's what leaves the lasting impression on the subconscious mind. So, for example, uh, maybe you deal with uh, future hardships down the road. You can focus on the example of what the ritual signified and meant and utilize that, you know, for solution uh, or for certain imagery to draw upon uh, to, to bring the necessary energy that one needs to maybe clear blockages that are in the subconscious mind. That's, that's the, that's the very uh, extreme importance of real ritual. And that's why I'm saying we want to dispel the myth on, you know, when people hear that word ritual, again, their mind, you know, starts to draw into all these spooky definitions and interpretations. You know, one hears ritual and they think about people cloaked in black robes and, and you know, and hoods and, 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 you know, the, the stereotype uh, example of it, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, even though there's imagery, and that's part of the imagery to some particular rituals, uh, but people just, again, tend to focus on that aspect, uh, and that's not what we're talking about. So a lot of the things that were just aforementioned is, is kind of what the ritual is centered around on the, on the 28th, kind of... Um, tap into that. It'll 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 kind of draw upon it, um, and the experience of it will 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 pretty much uh, be different for everybody. Um, because you'll find in any type of ritual, uh, when you get feedback from individuals, everybody has their own experience, and that's the unique thing about it. It's not uh, any correct ritual should never be structured to the point where the ritual is trying to dictate the experience. Um, that's uh, that's definitely not, you know, not the case, um, and that's not what real or or proper or correct ritual um, is for or about. So, having said that, um, we're going to get into our topic and what we chose tonight, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go through um, a couple different things. Let me just pull up some stuff here real quick. Just so I could uh, hold, on. hold on one sec. going to take a definition. We chose the, we chose the title, uh, you know, Anubis, uh, 
The Gates of the Underworld, and Necromancy, okay? Uh, necromancy, as we know, let's, let's, let's touch a little bit on that word real quick and, and, and before we get into uh, some of the in-depth information. Um, I'm just going to mute you out before I bring you in because I don't know if you're outside. There's a lot. There's a lot of wind and noise. It's it's kind of covering up the sound. Uh, I'm not sure if you. Yeah, I don't know if you're moving around. It's really bad. And and then I'll, I'll unmute. Well, I don't hear it now. Oh, no, there it goes no. again. No, it's okay now. Yeah, but it was kind of loud. Um. All right. So, yeah, uh, necromancy, which we know is a Greek word. Uh, you've you've uh seen the word necropolis, which they say is the abode of the dead, right? You've seen that word in the Greek, necro. Uh, you've seen, you hear, you hear anything that deals with the dead in the Greek terminology would have the word necro before it. Now, they've even taken this word, it's a, in, in, in English, and I, we've mentioned this before on the show, the word negro. Um, necros, negros, uh, really has its origin in Greek. So when they're calling melanated people negros, uh, they're actually confessing that spiritually there's that spiritual connection with the abode of the dead or lack of a better word, that spiritual realm, because that's a term that's been used loosely for generation. They'll say the American Negro, right? We hear this term. Uh, now you hear some other people try to break this down as, as, as it being an insult, like, saying that, that Negroes are dead mentally, but that's not really the case when you really understand the origin and the essence of the word. You can interpret it that way, so be it, because I've heard it interpreted that way before. I don't necessarily agree with that now. Uh, knowing what I know, um, I look at more at as they basically subliminally or in an indirect way are telling you as a melanated person, you have that natural genetic connection to the stuff we're going to get ready to talk about tonight. Um, because again, that has its origins in, in Greek and, you know, and obviously as we know, when looking through the English language, you can just, all you got to do is open a dictionary and basically see every word in the English language has its origin from another language, be it French, German, Latin, etc. It's, it's, it's basically a conglomeration of every language that predated it. Um, so there's a trick in that itself. So, you know, you should educate yourself on the etymology of words, um, especially in the occult, because the occult meaning, again, another Greek word meaning hidden, um, there's a lot of things encoded, for lack of a better word, or a lot of things kind of veiled in secrecy to, that's not really, you know, detected by the naked eye. You kind of really have to dig a little bit. Um, but it's important because it all connects. So Anubis since we, we, we kind of were talking about last week, uh, you know, Heka, the spiritual science or the real magic of ancient Egypt, we'd figure we'd now take it a little bit deeper and deal with the, you know, the underworld, uh, Anubu. Let's first start with, and I'm going to go again to, to a book I referred to last week, uh, A Dictionary of Egyptian Gods and Goddesses by, by George Hart. Um, and again, the reason why personally I've gravitated to this book and I suggest people read this book, it doesn't come a lot of the a lot especially more more of the books that are coming out today on, on Egypt or Egyptian studies, very religious. Or it's too over historical. 
Um, and it could get kind of boring. I'm not going to lie to you. you. Read this shit, it can get kind of mundane and boring. Um, and that's what I've noticed. Either some of these books, either over the years or recently, have been just so historical that it puts you to sleep. Uh, or some try to disguise their religious viewpoints uh, when dealing with Egypt and, and try to shroud it in Egyptian mysteries. And that, that becomes a little annoying to me, too. Uh, George Hart, who wrote this book originally back in the 70s, early 80s, uh, don't quote me on that, but if you're looking at copyright, somewhere in that time frame, uh, he just gets to the core essence, and he deals really with a lot of the symbolisms, especially with the archetypes. Uh, doesn't really overflood you with a lot of history, just gives you basically what you need. So I'm kind of giving you a quick book review of this, but when it comes to the deities slash archetypes, like in this section with Anubis, Anupu, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, he gets into his different titles and breaks them down in depth, and then he kind of correlates it to how that's a you know direct relation to his archetype and what it represents. That's important because I recommend this book because if you're a practicing, let's say, adept of the black arts, uh, this would be a book I would recommend for people to really study the archetypes, uh, to get an understanding of, of how to work with them, because people will always ask us questions, you know, what's a good book, or where do I begin, et cetera. Um, and, and these are good starting points. Um, if you really want an aspect of it where you're not being influenced by kind of the author's personal take on it, author just kind of did his research and, and kind of just put the information out there, this is, this is kind of one of those books, all right? So Anubal, I'm kind of going to skip around. Uh, and again, when you hear the titles, you hear us saying Anubu, Anupu, Anubis. Uh, again, that's just going to vary from what particular dynasty or area, area you are studying in. You'll see uh, if it's in the later dynasties where there was the Greek influence, the, the pronunciation of the name will vary. If you go back to the original hieroglyphs or, the, or, or as some say the metrometer, the original language, um, that a lot of these names were inscribed, you'll see the pronunciation uh, change. Uh, in the Greek, they'll say Isis. You'll hear Aset. Yeah, you know, you'll, you'll hear Asaro. You'll hear Osiris. You'll hear Seth, Set, Satuk. Um, again, that, for those that may not know, and I hope most people do know this because this is basic shit, um, that's the reason why you get the variation, you know, of the names, uh, so you might hear, I'm bringing that up because you might hear several different pronunciations of Anubis' his name this evening. We'll use Anubis uh, due to the fact that that's pretty much what, what most people are familiar with, okay? Uh, so Anubis, it says, is the canine, canine god of cemeteries. We mentioned that last week. And embalming. His most usual form is that of a crouching desert dog, ears pricked up, and tail hanging, wearing a collar of magical force and sporting the flagellum of Osiris from the center of his body. Okay? The Anubis dog is probably the jackal and is thus referred to under the name Sab in early texts. But other dogs, the rust-colored pariah, could have been prototypes. Anubis is perhaps a quintessence of these desert hounds, 
Certainly the black coat of Anubis is not true to nature, but symbolic. Okay, and we're going to go back to this because this is important. It represents the discoloration of the corpse after its treatment in natron and the smearing of the wrappings with a resinous substance during mummification. This leads on to the idea of rebirth. I want, I want, I'm just, I want to make sure everybody's focusing on the symbolicisms. You're getting a breakdown of, because a lot of people don't understand, you know, why he was, he's always depicted as a black jackal dog and synonymous with the dead. You're getting the signs because we're seeing it's the whole, uh, you know, process of the body decomposing and being prepared. So in that reflection of Anubis, you're, you're getting this story. So I hope people... You know, this is something people don't talk about, but I hope people are, are, are catching on to this, okay? Okay, then it says, this leads on to the idea of rebirth in the afterlife. Also, black suggests fertility. Listen to this. Fertility to the Egyptian mind because it is the color of the Nile silt which produced rich harvest. Hence, the notion of springing to life after bodily death is inherent in the dark fur of Anubis. Anubis can appear as an anthropomorphic up to his shoulders with the jackal then superimposed. Very rarely indeed, as in a chapel in the temple of Ramses II at Abydos, is Anubis totally human in shape. One Egyptian papyrus derives Anubis' name from the verb putrefy, linking him with the decomposition of the corpse. However, whatever the etymology of his name, Anubis's power probably originated from the observation of desert dogs scavenging bodies in the shallow graves of the late pre-dynastic period. So this, this, this doesn't sound all fluffy like people try to present it. You know, Everybody pre presents all the Egyptian deities as spiritual and fluffy. So we're dealing with death here now. And all these, all these symbols, decomposition, uh, the, the body being devoured and decomposing, the transition from the decomposition state uh, to a higher spiritual state in the afterlife. So in just the very appearance alone and the colors, because as we said, in the in this spiritual system, you've got to pay attention to symbols, heavy colors, uh, appearances. This is all important to your magical work. So here we're seeing just in Anubis' appearance alone and how he is depicted uh, holds uh, strong. Why is this important? Because if you're doing a ritual working with the dead or a necromancy ritual or an ancestral ritual working with the dead, now you have things you can focus on. You're getting a lot of symbolism. This is what you should be focusing on. All right. Then it goes on to say, to prevent such dismemberment, Anubis is the canine manifestation was taken as a protector. Okay. So it also symbolizes a protector. In the pyramid era, Anubis is closely allied to the monarch who is described as having Atum's body but the face of Anubis. This connection with royalty perhaps led to, led to the attempt to link Anubis's name with similar word for prince. When the king joins the sun god in the afterlife, he takes Anubis with him on his neck, presumably the image being similar to that of Heru or Horus protecting the head of Caffrey on the Deerite statue that you see in the Cairo Museum. Further, the king enters his pyramid like Anubis, 
on his belly, meaning in the crouch, pay attention to this, in the crouching posture of Anubis. Uh, that's that image you see of Anubis sometimes laying on top of a coffin as a dog would lay flat with their paws extended head up. There's symbolism in that. This is what this is talking about here. Okay? We'll get back to that. Um, uh, from the Palermo stone, a fragment of royal annals carved in the old kingdom, we learned that the statues called births of Anubis were used to designate the year in which they were ceremonially dedicated. The nature of Anubis is best revealed by the epithets used alongside his name. Now, I ain't going to go through all these in depth because he has many different titles. Uh, we'll, we'll just give you the brief explanation of them without having to read through all this because it's long. I would suggest, again, you get the book and, and, and do your research. Uh, but here's some titles real quick. He's also, one of his titles is, now, this is also something that's, that's kind of interesting because when you look for an example at the Ifa pantheon, notice how the Orishi have multiple paths. Notice how the so-called Natiru or the Egyptian deities also have multiple paths and titles. So, again, this confirms what we were talking about a few weeks ago. People get literally caught up in the external worship of these deities where they think there was just one specific Anubis or one specific Horus or one specific Shango or one specific Obatala. And I think you mentioned it last a uh, couple weeks ago, Ravana Noon. People get caught up in the last uh, physical incarnation of that archetype because Anybody can raise themselves up as an Anubis or a Heru or an Atum or a Shango. Uh, once they reach an elevated state, one of consciousness, and they show, you know, as they say in some sacred societies, proficiency in their craft. So you, any individual listening to the show tonight can raise themselves up uh, to that stature or position. So we got to get that locked in our heads to get out of that external you know, a, a deity worship that religion has enforced upon us and got people's minds so jacked the fuck up that they can't decipher between the two. All right, so quickly, his titles, and then we'll build on this. One of them is Kenti Imentu. This describes Anubis as foremost of the Westerners, indicating his leadership over those buried in the cemeteries of Egypt, the majority of which were on the west bank of the Nile, where the sun god sank into the underworld that night. Anubis is pictured in one text as burying the deceased in a sturdy mound of sand in the West. I'll leave that one there. Second one, Kenti Se Netster. Here Anubis is the one presiding over the God's pavilion. The wooden effigy of Anubis found in the tomb of Tuta Ankh Amun represents the God crouching on a shrine or pavilion gilded and decorated with amuletic signs. Symbolically, the pavilion can be both the tent where the ritual of embalming is carried out and the secure burial chamber, which is the case of royalty, was the golden hall, where a series of gilded wooden shrines encased the, sargophag the sarcophaguses. The structure for embalming is also, also known as Per Wabet, or House of Purification. It was a special one of these which Anubis, with the assistance from Tehuti or Thoth, constructed for the god Osiris. All right? The third one, this one's real brief. Tepi, Jueth. This means Anubis who is upon the mountain, 
The imagery is that of God watching from the heights of the desert cliffs overlooking the cemeteries. This would be symbolic of your grim reaper. Uh, This would be symbolic of the deity that is that connection looking for the souls here that are ripe for the transition to what we know as the afterlife or the spiritual realm. So this can also be synchronized, say, with the holy death, uh, the grim reaper. Um, I hope people catching the connections with this. This is it's, it's all connected. Um, the next one, Neb Ta Jezer, Lord of the Sacred Land, referring to the desert in which the necropolis were situated. Again, necropolis is the the abode of the dead. Like the previous title, this emphasis was geographical environment in which Anubis moves as god of burials. There is a title in the pyramid text, Jackal, Ruler of the Bows which amplifies this aspect of Anubis as a necropolis guardian, since it is the forerunner of the motif on the seal used in the royal tombs in the Valley of the Kings at Thebes, consisting of of recumbent jackal over nine bows. Historically, these bows signify enemies of the pharaoh in the Middle East and Nubia, which he has subdued. Here they seem to indicate Anubis' triumph over hostile underworld forces. And then the last one, uh, this one most people might be familiar with. They may or may not. Um, And and again, I hope the the first couple titles attributes pass. So you have different manifestations up until this point. And this is what I'm I'm trying to get people, or I hope people listening can see where we're going with this and, and why we kind of chose this topic and, and why we're trying to kind of connect it, uh, you know, to, you know, what was what we were building on uh, last week. Very important. Um, so the last one, which most people might be familiar with or, or may not, is Imweti, uh, which you might see this in a lot of the hieroglyphs. You might see this a lot in the, in the coming forth by day of the Book of the Dead. Um Let's briefly get this aspect of this epithet stresses Anubis's role in mummification by calling him he who is the place of embalming. His association with embalming is recognized in the pyramid age where the putrefaction of the king's flesh is prevented in the name of Anubis. Uh, I'm going to skip down because a lot of it, there's some historical stuff where you can, uh, you know, look up. It goes into the different dynasties. Uh, so I'm going to skip down to some of the important parts where I want to focus on. Uh, Anubis physically embalms the body of the king, purifying it with the unguent from the eight nemsent jars and the eight abet jars. It is Anubis who brings the, now notice, listen to this, hekinu oil, the word heka is in there, or magical oil, to anoint the body of Osiris. He makes the saber of corpses sweet with incense and wraps them with linen bandages made by the goddess Teat. And the book of cabins found in some tombs in the Valley of the Kings, Ray instructs Anubis to bind the head of the monarch to prevent its loss and to mold linen strips. I'm going to skip some of this. This is the embalming process. You can read that on your own time. All right, I'm going to skip here. Anubis' presence in the funerary ceremony of the opening of the mouth, which... I'm sure most people are familiar with this. Performed on the mummy and statues of the deceased in order to, to, to vivify them in the tomb is symbolized okay, by a priest wearing a jackal mask. 
Anubis originally provided iron from the sky for the magical ads required in this ritual. Anubis protection extends to the tomb chapel as well as to the burial chamber. Since the spirit of the deceased can ascend to, uh, to it to partake of the food offerings or employ the magical forces in the hieroglyphs or reliefs. Usually special formulae are given in the hieroglyphs to protect the burial of the deceased and ensure the food supply in the afterlife. At the beginning of the pyramid age, these invocation formulae are addressed to Anubis alone. Later, Osiris is incorporated and gradually supplants Anubis. Okay? And then, again, you can read that example, the connection, as we know, with Osiris and the opening of the mouth ceremony in the underworld. I'm going to kind of bypass that because it's not what we want to focus on. Uh, so let's skip down here in the last part. In the underworld, Anubis appears in Vigenets of the Book of the Dead. In the Hall of the Two Truths, where the weighing of the heart ceremony takes place, he stands by the scales, sometimes adjusting the plumb. Now, if you're a traveler and you're a mason, this is where a lot of some of the encoded Masonic information they get in lodge that they take and pretty much adjust for their rituals. Um, so I want to pay close attention to that, um, and we'll, we'll elaborate a little more on this. Um, uh, he stands by the scales and sometimes adjusting the plumb of the balance and is described as he who counts the hearts. We find this idea already present in the pyramid text where Anubis as claimer of hearts frees the king from restrictions on earth in order for him to join the gods in the sky. Anubis guides those who have passed the rigorous test and whose hearts have been vindicated as honest towards the throne of Osiris. Anubis, Anubis is credited with various parents. Notice it says various because we're dealing with, we're dealing with symbolicism. Um, according to one tradition, he is the son of Nephthys and Re. Okay? That's one tradition. His sister is Asset of Isis. A Benin Isis then adopts Anubis as her own son. Clearly, this is an attempt to incorporate the independent deity Anubis into the Osirian pantheon. So let me stop there for one second. This is no different when we were talking about when we did the show which set the God of Isolation. This was the period where the Osirian cult was trying to basically take over Egypt and pretty much influence everybody um, as far as spirituality is concerned because this confirms it here. George Hart is confirming it because as he says here, this is just or probably was just an attempt to adopt Anubis or claim Anubis into that whole Osirian pantheon. Well, that was the whole thing when we did the breakdown on Set being the god of isolation. When they came to uh, uh, those of Set or the Setian cult, they basically told them to go fuck themselves, literally, and did it in a way where they didn't, weren't looking for confrontation. They said, look, do what you want to do. We're going to do what we want to do. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for them. Then, then that's when the bullshit really kicked off. Um, when Set and the cult of Set was demonized and they were made to look, uh, you know, in this religious context of being demonic and evil and, and, and everything about Set was, was, was you know, evil. Uh, and then that's where most people pick up their story because when people study the Egyptian deities, Osiris or, or Osir is always painted as this great or always portrayed as this great savior-like figure the same way the Christians do Jesus. But then when you really break the shit down and look into the core essence of it, you see Seth 
who who was depicted as the bad as this quote unquote bad guy uh was actually was actually telling the truth the whole time. Well, you're getting confirmation of it here now with Anubis. That's what the Osarian cult did after the twenty second dynasty moving forward. They basically tried to claim everything as if it was under their pantheon, meaning that everything aligned particularly with their ideology. This is what caused the separations, the gnomes, uh, uh, the different incarnations and dynasties and, and the different disagreements that they had were based on just like we do today as humans in 2017. We have, we have disagreements. And when we have disagreements, we, we tend to do our own thing. And then it can vary on degree. Some people go to the extreme and think that they are the only ones and they're completely right and nobody can tell them shit and nobody else knows nothing but them. Uh, and, and this is what causes all the division and the separation. No difference. So let's not paint the picture uh, of Egypt like some people want to do and act as if Egypt was completely, you know, perfect and they didn't have any problems and everything was, you know, peace and love because everybody sometimes presents the picture of Egypt as, is, as it's the complete solution to everybody's problem. Well, they had the same shit that we're dealing with today in 2017, jealousy, Envy, war, there was violence there, maybe not to the same extent that we have today. But let's not paint the picture now because you get confirmation of this. All right, and then the last part. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, which I'm going to skip some of this here. This is just some history, a little bit of history. All right, the link is, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me come up here. In the Egyptian papyrus of later date, we find the same tradition, uh, as it's saying here, Anubis being called, uh, the son of Osiris. In the earlier tradition of the coffin text, the cow he sat gives birth to Anubis, and from the same source, Bastet is Anubis's mother. So now you got another story. This later affiliation is quite likely to derive the writing of Bastet's name, which uses a Unjin jar, whose importance in the mummification process we have already seen. This link is intensified in the presence in the necropolis at Memphis of the cult focal points for Bastet and Anubis, known as the Bastetian Anubion in the pyramid text. There are references to a daughter of Anubis in the form of a celestial serpent called Kepiwet, who refreshes and purifies the monarch. All right? And I'm going to stop there. Um. Again, all that came from some of the stuff I just, uh, you know, ciphered uh, is in the Dictionary of Egyptian Gods and Goddesses by George Hart. Took that out of these sections. Got a whole section on there new in, uh, on Anubis. Uh, so I left a lot of it out. I skipped through it basically and just 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 draw it upon the key points. Uh, so I know that was a mouthful. Um, so let's kind of let's kind of build on that. I know we got a lot of symbolisms there. Uh, but there was a lot. Just in the description of Anubis, uh, we see the representation. The last thing I wanted to add in there real quick, uh, and we've mentioned this on the show, that, that tradition, uh, mainly in Christianity, when we look at Christianity, where, at what point in history, and not even just Christianity, it, it, it just seems like in most people's cultures and traditions, where did black become this? you know, main tradition of wearing all black to a funeral and black symbolizes mourning and, and anything that deals with black and, and, and death, uh, you, know, you know, anything that deals with death should be affiliated with wearing black. Now, you just heard in that 
passage. That's, that's not what it represented. Okay? The tradition itself, you see, obviously, people don't realize they're actually tapping into what was just described there, but it's, it gave you what black really represented. It represented life. It represented, uh, you know, a higher state of consciousness. It represented that transition from decomposition uh, to making that transition to the afterlife. So the thing is, as you see, modern-day people have taken this science of, of dealing with the necropolis or necromancy or the dead, and they've now twisted it and, 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 and kind of put their spin on it. That's not what it represented. Uh, so there's that aspect, because when you ask the average person, regardless of whatever religion they are or faith or spirit, why, why, why do we wear all black when we claim we're in mourning? You know, where, where does that really come from when you really look at the essence? I don't think anybody really has a, a logical explanation for it because it's something that's just got passed down through time and nobody's really identified the origin of where that tradition comes from. Well, you just got the explanation right there. You just heard it from the death process. That, that aspect is, a, is, a, is, a, is associated with Anubis from the very beginning. Uh, so let's start there. I know, I know Ravonna, and I'm sure you're going to want to add plenty to that. Uh, so I don't know, you pick and choose uh, where you want to go from there. I know there was a lot in there. But uh, so let's talk a little bit about Anubis uh, and what he represents and, and how when one's working necromancy rituals or working with the spirits of the dead, uh, how we can use Anubis. All right. Um, well, let's start here. Um, let's go back to pretty much the beginning. When Anubis is working on embalming and preparing the the body for uh, the afterlife, it's symbolic of us um, going through, even in this present life, not even having to die, but going through a transition period in our spiritual growth. Uh, everybody, when they are encountering and directing their work to growth, there's a point where you feel like you've reached a death where the old you has ceased to exist and it's like you're being reborn to a new you. So uh, Anubis perfectly symbolizes that, that state of death to regeneration. You have to die to your old self. This is the part that I think many people do not understand when they're uh, working on this path, is that it's not about, okay, I found out my weaknesses, so now um, that's all I do. No. You work on destroying the illusion that you created about yourself to work and master those things that are weak about you to regenerate or transform into something that's different than you were. So Anubis, when he is embalming and doing the preparation of the body, it is causing a transformation or a shift into a new consciousness. That is one of the things that on any spiritual path, but particularly when you work in more of the black magic path or the black adept path, you are literally going through a death state to a reawakening state. 
This is why many times you wear black in the ritual. You wear red as symbolic of passion, blood, or life, meaning that blood or that life is being renewed. So Anubis also is symbolic of being a, uh, what I should say, a chameleon insofar as that Anubis saw the power of Set. Let me explain this real briefly, because as Benidi was sharing this part, um, it, it came forth to my mind. When you look at Anubis and Pooh, um, his symbol is that of a jackal. And when you look at Set, that symbol is sometimes mysteriously connected either to a African wolf, a jackal, or something in between the two. Mm-hmm. Anubis saw the power and potential of the isolated consciousness and utilized the jackal as his symbol, showing that he could look at life. He could look at what was being taught by, let's say, the occult uh, the Osirian cult, and he said, well, that's not actually correct how they're trying to demonize Set. He actually looked at Set, and he said, you know what, I can empower myself through utilizing the isolated consciousness of Set and the absorption and power of Set to become something even greater. This is what, usually in the black adept, what is a... a Something that people work on is what can you utilize? What can you look at to adapt and embody within yourself that can help you become even greater? Are you going to look at things still as black or white? Are you still going to look at things as positive or negative, good or bad? Or are you going to look beyond that so that when you do this work, you can actually do the work that is beyond those limiting factors and cause a regeneration and growth. This is why death and necromancy is utilized in almost every African tradition because it doesn't represent the end. It represents the beginning of a new path, a new transformation to a new you. But in order to do that, you would have to encounter every aspect of yourself that is holding you back into a stagnated or dead state. Are you willing Mm -hmm. to be able to tap into that part of yourself? Are you willing to go into the necropolis, the grave? The grave is also, or the graveyard symbolic of the dried up bones, uh, which are symbolic of your, your traumas, your emotional weakness, your pains, your wounds, your uh, anxiety, stresses, anything that is laying buried in there is symbolic of the graveyard. And if you're able to go into the graveyard and you are able to cultivate those things about yourself that you've long avoided or put off, then are you able to open up your underworld, your do at your subconscious mind, unconscious mind, to bring forth the necessary work to cause a transformation, to cause a regeneration, to then open the mouth to bring in a new spirit, as they would say, or the ka and the ba, 
to cause a change within yourself. So when we look at the graveyard, necromancy, the graveyard is not just about uh, literally sitting there and saying, well, you know what? I'm going to um, go and sit with the spirits of the dead. I'm going to utilize the spirits of the dead, and I'm going to do some real deep shit as if I'm so great. It's actually going into your subconscious, unconscious self and trying to find your bullshit, your weaknesses, your traumas, your failures. What keeps repeating? Why does it keep repeating? Why does this keep occurring? And actually digging in to the graveyard to bring that shit out. Or you're going to keep sitting there and saying, oh, you know what? Um, well, I just found that weakness, but, you know, I'm not going to do nothing about it because I'm so great over here. I have so many great qualities that that stuff cannot affect me. Bullshit. All that shit can affect you. Anything that's negative about you, anything that's weak about you can affect you. But you have to understand that just like Anubis, symbolic of the jackal, which is symbolic of having a keen sense, a keen sense to be able to detect your own bullshit, to be able to detect that which is an illusion from that which is real, are you able to utilize that sense, that keen sense as a jackal, to be able to do the work that is necessary? So when we bring these topics up, we're not just bringing it up because we want to sound deep and heavy. Because any comedic coon can say this crap and, and act like they're heavy, but how do you actually bring that shit and apply it into your life? How does it actually work that you now know, okay, Ampu is the master of the underworld, the master of the graveyard, necromancy? How do you apply that shit to your life? Well, for one, you can dig into your own subconscious mind and bring forth the shit you need to work on as well as you can aid or ask for the aid or connect with the aid of your ancestors to help you from that side dig into things that you may have a blockage on. But they don't have that same blockage that we have, so they're able to help you, whether in a dream state, whether in a uh, metaphoric sense, they can come and show you symbols in your waking world where they can bring this forth for you to awaken to the real self. So this, this journey of Anubis, Anubis, Ampu is more in-depth in, uh, in than even what we could cover in these couple hours that we're talking. So Anubis can represent so many different facets, but the main important aspect is cultivating and digging into your subconscious mind to bring forth the challenges and changes necessary for your transformation. I can't even remember all the shit that Beniti read off because it's a a lot of impactful information. So I can only go off of what I'm remembering. Anything else, Beniti, bring forth because that's too much shit. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you went into the core essence of it. And again, I'm, uh, the information kind of was just a, you know, we just wanted to put out the generalization of it. But I think you're focusing on the on the core 
uh, representations of it. I mean, you, you broke it down, a lot, a lot of the different symbolisms. What I wanted to bring up since you were talking about that connecting with the dead, those that attended, let's, let's now uh, we can connect a few uh, quote-unquote deities of the dead, uh, archetypes of the cemetery. When we did the Baron Softy ritual uh, last month, um, well, not last month, I'm sorry, February. Was it February or March? Well, March, I think it was. No, February, I'm sorry. Uh, when we did the Baron Samedi ritual, there's a part in the ritual where, and, and again, it's, it's really, again, you can synchronize a lot of these archetypes in that connection and representation of what you were just talking about. Remember, there's a part, there's a, there's a part of that ritual where, you know, uh, Baron Samedi's presence, uh, actually even Baron, Baron LaCroix, presence is felt and the aspect of him is symbolically laid out as if he's dead and he's mummified he's wrapped okay and then each individual at a point in the ritual comes and they call it saluting the dead and they come up and each one is uh you know shakes the hand of baron Samdi. well what that represents is kind of what what uh brother ravana noon was just talking about uh when you make that connection at that moment, let's say I'm using the example of that particular ritual, uh, no different than the opening of the mouth ceremony. And by the way, when, when we were talking about that, remember, before Osiris was placed in there in later texts as the chief deity that Anubis connected with, well, when you go back to texts prior to the 21st and 22nd dynasty, Set was that one that made the connection and worked in conjunction with Anubis to connecting people to the quote-unquote underworld afterlife realm of the dead, not Osiris. This is another thing that the Osirian cult try to lay claim to and dominate. Okay, the list goes on. You even heard they tried to claim Anubis. They tried to claim, uh, you know, everything that was affiliated with, listen, you know, with. Um, but, hey, that, 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 we could do a whole class in that in itself. So the Baron Samdi ritual has that connection in, in, this, Anub, in this example of this Anub, Anubis information uh, that we are talking about, um, saluting the dead. At that point, you come to the realization that you have now addressed or you have now faced certain things that you may not or may have been aware of. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not just talking about mundane things because, again, people will tell you in a ritual particularly like that, a lot of emotions come to the surface. A lot of things run through their mind. A lot of things are, are transpiring simultaneously, uh, you know, as that's all going on. Um, and that's the purpose of, again, as I said in the beginning, of real ritual. It's the same thing when you're reading the symbolisms, as we just explained and broke down, when you get into, uh, you know, the connection of what Anubu or Anupis or Anpu represents in that connection with the dead. And I find, one, very interesting how George Hart, in the very beginning of his breakdown on Anubis, connects him with the cemeteries, okay? And I find, I find this interesting because the cemeteries, or which is another aspect of cro or crossroad deities, uh, now we can connect it with the Aoife pantheon of Allegra because there's an aspect of Allegra that connects you to the path and the roadway of the deceased or, 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 or the dead, for lack of a better word. 
Now, again, when we say dead, uh, you know, we've got to be crystal clear on this, and we've said it before. Dead more, the dead more so represents the living, because there's, there's, there's a, a play on words in that. When one is saying, you know, the dead, we're talking about that you're giving up. So when you salute the dead, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to connect this all together, in the Baron Sumdi ritual, you have now come to the realization that everything that was, you know, not productive for yourself, you, you are working on or trying to the best of your ability to completely eliminate. Eliminate to the sense where you have control over it because there's always going to be those certain energies there. Uh, as we said before, you can't completely destroy your demons. You can just contain them and work with them and utilize the energy of them in certain situations. But when you salute the dead, you're saying, I'm giving up all old ways that are not productive for me. And that, that dead state physically leads you to what we're talking about, the, the, the abode of the afterlife, the abode of the dead, which is really the abode of eternal life or the eternal living. So there's a play in that word. So that's why we said when you, if it's the Vudon pantheon and you're working with crossroad deities of the dead, you're really working with that concept of eternal life. It's more so referring to the dead in a, you know, on the physical level. You're giving up everything that is not conducive to your spirituality. That's the reality of it. This, this is the purpose of working with uh, various, I mean, there's many different. We, we did a show uh, a little while back, uh, you know, on the necromancy aspect. Um, so this is the purpose of working these rituals, because when somebody hears it on the surface and they go, well, you know, if you don't know anything about the occult, you don't know anything about adept of the black arts or working with any of these spiritual systems. Uh, again, people hear a term like, oh, doing rituals and working with the dead or necromancy. Their mind automatically wanders to negativity due to ignorance because they've already got preconceived notions. They've already got definitions, be it by Wikipedia, Google, well, boy, just by ignorant-ass people that don't know their ass from their elbow, so they start thinking that this is uh, demonic and this is evil. And, you know, when they hear the word rituals, oh, that must be, you know, people walking around in black hooded robes with knives and they're getting ready to sacrifice animals and children. All that stupidity that was done intentionally. So when we talk about it here in 2017, and, and I'm telling you, I, I hate to say this, it's not so much just the religious people that get spooked out. I find so-called people that claim to be Egyptian conscious, comedic conscious, some of them motherfuckers are more spooked out religious than religious people themselves because they are one thing that they are not facing in dealing with their bullshit is they think they approach, quote-unquote, comedic spirituality as if they got it all figured out. They think they know the breakthrough. They know what Egypt represents. And their definition of what it represents is basically religious because they, you know, they use terms like Father Ra and the Most High God Ra or Ray, or they look at Osiris as another aspect of Jesus. Or they, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So one thing that they're, or one reality that they're not facing is they look at the whole concept of ancient Egypt in a religious nature. Now, you heard a lot of this stuff, and this is just dealing with Anubis. 
you don't when, when it painted when when George Hart is giving his breakdown on Anupu, you don't really hear anything religious in there. You don't really hear all that fluffy shit, all that peace and love shit. You hear a, a, a deeper, dark aspect of what Anubis represents and how you're supposed to apply it in, in, when you're working Heka or Egyptian, real Egyptian black magic. Okay, I didn't hear uh, anything about all this fluffy shit like he grabs your hand and guides you through the underworld so you can become an eternal living soul. Some Negroes are straight religious, okay? Straight religious. That's not what this talked about, okay? So we don't want to face, that's one aspect that people, quote, unquote, that claim to be conscious, don't want to face the reality of what they're perceiving that consciousness as. And then have the nerve to get upset when people don't want to maybe agree or sympathize with their ideology or concept. Henceforth, now debates start, differences of opinion, fighting, just, just nonsense because people's egos, not the good aspect of their ego, but people's personal egos now get bruised because they might have came up under a certain system or some elder or tradition or group or organization taught them this for many years and they can't conceive anywhere in their mind that there might be possibly more to it than what they know or what they think then what they think they know this is where all the bullshit starts because this is where i've found out over the years running into people that uh belong to any conscious group whether it's new wapians or fucking uh the metuneter group uh uh you know etc that because they belong to an organization for 10 15 20 or whatever years there's no fucking way in the world that they can be wrong well, I hate to say it, that's an aspect of ourselves that we have to work on. Because the hardest pill to stomach sometimes is a person who thinks they're 100% right but doesn't have any, any realization that they're completely wrong. And that's the hardest person to talk to because you know they're wrong, not based out of your arrogance and your ego, just based out of common sense. You know that they're wrong, but some people are so ignorant they will just keep putting up a wall to defend their personal ideologies. Now, what's the problem with that on this spiritual path? Real simple. When you work certain rituals, okay, when, especially when you work what we call greater black magic, tapping into your subjective realm, you cannot take with it in that aspect your personal opinions, your personal ideologies, faith and belief systems because it does not work when you're carrying out a particular ritual in that system. And this is where people go wrong because they've already tried to control or dictate the outcome before they were even able to begin the spiritual work. That's the problem. And it's hard for some people because there's people that claim to be on this path. Trust me, we know them. And we see the religious bullshit, the, the, the baggage that they carry over from a previous a spiritual system and they claim to be null and void of it i'm over it i'm done with it i don't know i don't i don't believe in religion well like i said before ravana nuna said before when somebody refers to ra or ray as the most high that is fucking religious there's nothing you can do nothing you can say 
to convince me otherwise. And when we confront or we address that, we've done that a multitude of times when we've heard somebody say that. Now we get the buck dancing. We get people that want to do the jig and they want to dance around it. No, no, I don't mean like the, 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 the most high, like some spiritual God in heaven. I mean like my high, not bullshit. Subconsciously, your subconscious mind is still impacted by religious ideology, so that's why you said it, whether you were conscious of it or not. And then after you had to think about it, then you want to backtrack and say, no, I meant my higher self. No, you didn't. Because if you really meant, or you say what you mean and mean what you say, you would have never even used the term the most high. The term the most high in itself shows you're giving credence to something outside of yourself, number one, that there is something higher and more powerful than you, number two, which is no different than a Christian, a Muslim, or a Jew in monotheism that accepts this belief that there is this high spiritual power that resides in a place in the sky called heaven, impacted by religious trauma. So this is part, if you can't address little shit like that, how are you really going to address fucked up shit about yourself? Like you just might be a, a, a rotten-ass motherfucking person. You just might have a shitty attitude. You treat people like shit, but you think you're doing it and you're justified in it. You might think you're mom and dad of the year. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the best at what I do. Nobody can tell me shit. I raise my kids the right way. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you've been fucking your kids up mentally for years because you think your approach and method works. Not because you're getting the factual results and response, but because you think in your mind, because it's your way, that, oh, there's nothing outside of this, and I've been doing it for so long, so nobody can tell me shit. But then you can't understand why your kids are all fucked up in the head. You understand? Now we're dealing with real core issues. You might be a sexual deviant. You understand? But you're not facing that. You might have an addiction and a problem disciplining yourself with food. See, see, we all want to be spiritual and play Egypt and all this shit, but we don't want to address these issues here, okay? These are things about ourselves that we fight and resist. So what do we do? We sweep it under the rug, and we put on a nice dashiki. We put on a big-ass onk. We grow our hair naturally. We, we drown ourselves in body oils, and we say shit like hotep, alafia, ashe, so now, now we have now created this illusion that because I am now presenting myself with this, I've swept all my problems under the rug. They don't exist. And now, I'm now to, to bury myself even deeper, okay, I'm going to take a nice, catchy Egyptian African name. So I'm going to call myself Mustafa Akbar or uh, Osiris Imhotep or all this other shit. We, and now I got something else that to, to, you know, to, bury, to bury my personal trauma even deeper, okay? And now I'm going to go even a step further and be very fucking overbearing with motherfuckers. What do I mean by that? One thing that gets me nauseated is a motherfucker that thinks they're so spiritual, that everything they do is so spiritual and holy and righteous, and everything they talk about as if they don't deal with any pleasures or physical things of the world. They're so spiritual, and they're never tempted to do anything bad and you know, they've got everything under control. Well, you're going to find out usually those are the most fucked up people that have the most fucked up problems. Just like you're going to find out, and I don't give a shit if this offends some females, but I've got to keep it 100. You're going to find out that sister that claims to be so spiritual 
claims to be so holy and righteous, and, and this is the one, hey, this is the one I'm telling you, and, and Ravana Noon, how do we know this? You, we'll, we'll, we'll explain. This is the one that's got the look down pack. She's got the natural. Look, I mean, looks great. Can't tell her shit, know it all. You're going to find out they're the biggest sexual freaks in the bedroom. There's a reason for that. I'll let you marinate on that for a minute. But you're going to find out them are the ones that you've got to be real cautious of as men. We always like to bury the hatchet on the men. There's a lot of fucked up men out there. But I'm now trying to get people to see how we try to disguise our trauma by hiding in culture and doctrine. Just because you're saying the right things physically with your tongue don't mean the heart and the mind is correct. Because now let's go back to one thing it talked about in that breakdown of Anubis and the necropolis and the transition into the underworld, the weighing of the heart ceremony, right? Which you can find a lot of these precepts in a lot of initiatic orders. And you'll find some of this in the ritual we're going to get ready to do on the 28th, which is a whole other story. And you'll find it heavily veiled in masonry. Because as I've said before, when you walk into a Masonic lodge, it doesn't matter what lodge, even if you've been there as a guest, you don't have to be an initiate to see this. If you've walked into a Masonic lodge, you will look to the left and see an ashlar that is rough and, and very coarse. And you'll see on the other side a smooth ashlar, okay? That temple that you're working on in the Masonic lodge is yourself. You walk in the lodge as a rough ashlar. You walk in with a lot of problems, a lot of imperfections, a lot of trauma, a lot of shit that's not right about you. This is real masonry, not no fucking watered-down bullshit. You walk in knowing you're fucked up. That's the purpose of why you, you go through the symbolic rituals of death, rebirth, and resurrection on the three degrees on the Blue House, which is the Ended Apprentice, Fellcraft, and Master Mason. So death, rebirth, and resurrection. Okay? So you're the rough Ashler when you walk in, but by the time you're done, you're going to represent that smooth ashlar on the right. This is all symbolic. Well, this is what the weighing of the heart ceremony, when it talks about the scales, and as Anubu is there to guide you, when one goes through the Masonic Lodge, you have that Anubu guide that's guiding you around the lodge, that's assisting in the perfection process. We strive to be perfect. We're not perfect. You understand? So when one is approaching ritual, and I'm bringing all this up because, again, the reason why we're choosing these topics the last couple of weeks leading up to the ritual, I hope people are paying attention to these shows because this is the information that's going to help prepare you for that ritual on the 28th. Um, you're, you're, you are accepting the fact that you are fucked up, right? You're not doing this because you're spiritual and you're holy and you're deep. That's not what this ritual is about. It ain't got nothing to do with that. This has got to do with you recognizing your real self. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that, brother. Um, sure. sure. Go ahead. Um, let, me, let me add this because <clears throat> I'm sure there's a misconception somewhere in uh, talk show talk land that uh, we, we may think that we're perfect and holy and divine. No, bullshit. Um, we that host this show have our own fucking issues we work on. Otherwise, what would be the purpose of us still doing rituals if we had this shit all figured out and we were perfect? That's not right. the point. The point is that we realize our strengths and our weaknesses. And 
we as individuals are not afraid to say, hey, look, we work in these rituals, these different things, because we ourselves have uh, certain things that we need to work on and overcome and master. So just uh, because we don't come out and give you all the personal life stories of how fucked up we are or how great we are is um, done purposely because we don't want to bore you with our just our personal life. But you have to understand that we do the work as well as host the show. Hold on. Right. We don't just host the show. We're also working day and night on ourselves. A ritual is like a passion for me. I have a passion to do a ritual. My passion is um, focused, pinpointed focus on doing the ritual. So all my problems, all my issues are going to be presented in the ritual if that's what I'm working to encounter. When you do that, you will expose every little aspect of yourself And you have to be able to be ready for what comes to the surface. You have to be able to deal with whatever it may be, how, how, no matter how uh, shocking it may be, you have to be able to deal with it. Because if you don't, then what is the purpose of you being at a ritual? What? Just to look cute? What? Just to travel around and say, okay, I did a ritual? If the ritual is not causing a change within yourself. If the ritual is not causing you to become something um, that was different before the ritual, if it's not having you focus on yourself and what you really need to encounter and work on in your everyday life, then the ritual serves no purpose other than going through the motions. So all that we discuss is to open your mind up for the possibilities that you may encounter about yourself. Up to now, most of the rituals have been focused on ancestral connection, ancestral reverence, um, utilizing uh, the spirits of the dead. Now, it's about you, you, and you alone. Are you as tough a cookie as you portray yourself to be? Are you as so spiritual and powerful as you portray yourself to be? Or are your fears, doubts, worries, and inconsistencies and deficiencies going to present itself at a ritual that you next do? You can't go into this uh, uh, trying to stop people from seeing your weaknesses. Because that defeats the purpose. If you can't sit there and pinpoint, okay, damn, I thought my mind was strong, but guess what? I still do have fears, and these fears still do rule me. Then you can never become the Anupu who's that master of your subconscious mind, that master to be able to dig deep and to uh, push you forward, you're just going to be a person who's always crying for external help and not taking the position of an Ampu, of a Nubis, of a uh, Baron Semdi, Baron Semdi, not taking the position 
of an isolated consciousness of sets or took. You're just going to be an individual who's just always led around, who does not become the master. And Anpu can guide you through a lodge. He can guide you through a temple. He can guide you through the graveyard. He can guide you through the underworld. But at the end, when you reach that stage, that set um, end pattern, when you have to literally weigh your heart, against your own feather, are your, is your heart, your emotions, your deficiencies, your traumas, your pains, your wounds, your fucking false illusions, your bullshit going to outweigh the heart of your consciousness or the, uh, the feather of your consciousness? Which one is it going to be? See, because you can be guided all the time by so many so-called teachers and leaders and all this shit. But there always comes a point where none of that shit matters and you you will not have their assistance on a day you have to face yourself and the real you and the false you. Is your heart and your feather, are they going to balance or is one going to outweigh the other? There's nobody there that can help you. There ain't no Dr. York that can help you. There ain't going to be no Farrakhan that can help you. There ain't no going to be no fucking... Uh, master sorcerers and and all this shit it's only going to be you and you and what you have done and the work you've put in through your rituals is going to be self-evident the moment where it comes that you literally have to face yourself and the results will show what is true and what you've been faking the funk about on this this true path here there ain't no faking the funk you could act like you're super deep <coughs> You could act like you, uh, Mr. Necromancy today, and uh, next week be uh, Mrs. Master Seducer, but when it comes time to facing your shit, none of that shit will matter, because that was all false illusions you created to make yourself feel better about yourself. But real initiations, real rituals, it's about the power of your mind and how strong you really are and how weak you are will present itself. That's right. Excellent point. All right, so what we're going to do before, we're going to go to the phones uh, for the last portion of the show. Um, so I think we covered a lot. Um, so now we want to kind of get some feedback. Uh, before we do that, just again, to, to go over the announcements uh, that I made earlier, uh, the the uh, flyers for the event uh, this month are, are just about finished. We're, we're going to get those out by the weekend. Um, again, the ritual on April 28th at Cultural Expressions in, in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, we do need a headcount for that. Very, very important. Um, I have received emails. Uh, we've gotten emails already here at the radio show. Uh, people have confirmed this spot. Uh, we need a headcount, an exact headcount, because of the type of ritual it is and the type of uh, supplies that, that are needed for the ritual. Uh, so... If you do plan to attend, um, we do need a headcount. So you do need to confirm that with us. Um, right now, we, you know, uh, we got we got we got a nice amount of people, and we need to plan this as a there's a timing uh, that's all involved in it. Uh, so we want to make sure we're able to efficiently coordinate the time of the ritual. Number one, and number two, obviously have enough of. Uh, supplies that we need to uh, carry the ritual out. 
So that's us, you know, again, Friday, April 28th, 7.30 p.m., Cultural Expressions in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, the next day at uh, Sophia's Garden of Matt, myself and Brother Ravana Noon are going to do a class pretty much uh, on things centered around that ritual and topics in relation to kind of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. That'll be the next night, 7.30 p.m. Uh, at Sophia's Garden. Uh, also, uh, next week, the 15th, um, something we'll be doing here locally uh, once a month, uh, drumming on the beach, actually playing for the for the spirits of the, in, in the adept, the spirits of the sea, uh, which is something we don't really focus on, but it is, it's an event for anybody, family, friends, anybody's welcome, uh, kind of making it a family thing where we just kind of drum, dance, let loose. Um, that's going to be out on the beach once a month. We're going to try to consistently schedule that monthly. Uh, so anybody's welcome to attend that. Um, and again, we'll have the flyers for all three of these events, um, by the weekend. Uh, so just, just keep that in mind. If you need any information on these events or you would like the flyer emailed to you, uh, you can email us right here at the radio show at khnum19 at gmail.com. Again, that's khnum19 at gmail.com. Also, on April 20th, uh, we're going to have author Bal Cadman on. Uh, Bal Cadman, uh, who I know some of you are familiar with his work, and we, we've talked about a lot of his uh, work here on the show, uh, Cali Mantra Magic, which is a, a book and, and some rituals we definitely have talked about and utilized. Uh, Lilith Magic, working with the Jinn, uh, he's got uh, several books, a bunch, bunch of books out uh, on the occult and magic. Um, we're going to have Val Cadman on the show on the 20th. What I do want listeners to know is we will have him just for the first hour of the show. So I want people to know that in advance so you can make sure, because I know a lot of people, I know people have different schedules, different things, and they kind of tend to sometimes come on the show later and they're not on for the first hour or so. But I'm trying to get people the heads up. Um, to maybe make plans in advance, two weeks in advance, uh, to maybe want to get on early that night. Because uh, the plan is to interview them for about 20 to 30 minutes and then give you guys an opportunity to call in or, or if you're on the chat to uh, type some questions and, you know, feel free to ask him uh, what you want here. Uh, only due to his busy schedule, um, he's only able to stay for the first hour of the show. So if you are familiar with Bal Cadman and have some of his books and his work and you are interested in uh, talking with him or getting an opportunity to talk with him, we suggest on the 20th uh, everybody uh, tunes in, gets, gets in on 9 o'clock because uh, we'll have him on from 9 to 10. Uh, I'll, I'll reiterate it, uh, you know, again next week le- leading up to, you know, the 20th. Uh, and I will also – when we send the show out for that week, I'll put that in the notes so people are aware. So you kind of might want to prepare uh, for that if you're going to be, or if you're an individual that is interested in, in speaking with Bal Cadman when we have him on as a guest in two weeks. Uh, so having said that, I think I covered the important things um, in dealing with that. Now, the other thing when we mentioned before we go to the phone, speaking of the whole concept of wearing black now you see why we uh wear black at the rituals uh i know ravana knew you were breaking down earlier the colors of black the passion and the blood the black and the red which are two of the most uh powerful occult colors um 
And this is the purpose. So some people don't really understand it sometimes. Why black? Why black? Because unfortunately, in a lot of African traditions, uh, especially West African traditions such as Ifa, you know, the wearing of white seems to be prominent. And the funny thing about it is uh, actually white was worn, you know, to funerals in a lot of these African traditions, especially Egypt. Um, but for somehow we've correlated white with being with purity, and and that tended to be the thing in, in this day and time that 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 people affiliate with when it comes to ritual or spirituality. And and, and as I said earlier, this whole concept of wearing black at funerals and mourning has become become synonymous with physical death. Well, that that was debunked when we read the beginning portion out of the Egyptian Gods and Goddesses Dictionary by George Hart, where that myth was debunked. So anyway, I think we got the gist. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the last 30 minutes of the show. We're, we're going to stay to our format tonight. We're not going to stay on past 11 tonight um, just due to a busy schedule. So really, we're not going to stay on too late. Um, so we're going to get your feedback on this. We're going to get your feedback on you know, what you've heard up until this point, your, your thoughts. And hopefully this gave you a different perspective on, in this case, looking at Anubis, but I'm hoping it gave you a different perspective in looking at the Egyptian pantheon and the Egyptian mysteries as a whole in a whole different perspective. That was the objective. A black adept or somebody that practices the black arts, this is how we look at Egypt when we're practicing uh, magic and sorcery. And we're using our higher spiritual powers in science, okay? This is how we look at it. This is how we approach it. Now, again, we're not concerned with whether you agree with it or not. Agreeing debates is for people that are stuck on just intellectualized historical information. We're not concerned with just that aspect. We're concerned with getting results. When one looks at it from this perspective and is able to not just look at it from the perspective – but take that perspective and put it into practice and apply it and get results. That's the important thing. Anything else outside of that to a real practice and adept of the black arts, they're not really concerned with anything outside of that. That shit is irrelevant. They're not concerned with likes and dislikes. They're not concerned with right and wrong, good and bad, or your personal system of morality or I, you know, you know every time a motherfucker starts off a sentence, you know, any motherfuckers you talk, everything is I, I think, I, 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 I. Anybody that constantly is starting a sentence off with I, that's a motherfucker you might want to run as far away from as you can. Because it's, everything is I, me. Everything is I don't like this. Did anybody ever stop to think in this humongous, some say universe, multiverses, multiple dimensions, worlds, Realms of existence. Did anybody stop and ever think that do you really think your little personal fucking dislike, you're just a small fucking crumb, a, a drop of urine in the fucking world of existence, that because you don't like something, do you really think the world ceases to stop just because of your personal little bullshit? I don't think anybody of us ever stopped and looked at it in that perspective when we start bitching and moaning and complaining about shit. Think about that for a minute. As vast as existence is, do you think your fucking whining and your fuckery 
Really? How far do you really think that goes? You, you know what's interesting about that? Go go back to the movie Doctor Strange when um, the uh, ancient one, the ball-headed chick, she had just passed, right? And she was in, they were in an astral body. And she said, and, he, and she said, oh, you still haven't figured it out. And he said, well, what's that? He, and she said, it's not always about you, bro. In so many That's words, right. she said, it's not always about you. Now, see, that shit makes astonish people and shock them because they'll be like, oh, but on this path, isn't it about you deifying yourself? Yeah, there's a difference. Listen, people. The difference between self-deifying and false-deifying. Okay, what's the difference? When you self-deify, you understand that you're becoming a God over self. I'm becoming responsible over myself. I'm becoming responsible for my failures and my successes. Okay, I'm becoming responsible for my strengths and my weaknesses. I'm responsible for the uglies and the nices about myself. That does not mean that I am the shit and I am the only shit and I'm the only God that exists and everybody else is full of shit. That's not what it means. What it means is I am just mastering myself and I am a God over myself. And, yes, that is important. But at the end of the day, it's not about always me. There is other things involved in this grand scheme of things, like Benita was saying, in this multiverse this universe that you're living in, these existences do not all weigh upon you and you and only you, okay? You are a, a crumb, of a piece of sand in, in a vast uh, ocean front, okay? You're just one little piece of sand. So if you really think that everything is you and only you and that you're the shit, you're the greatest this, or you're this and everything is that, and you have the greatest wisdom, the greatest understanding about everything, you're misled. Because first of all, if you, if you understand that all is mine, mine is all, well then if you come to an understanding, is it quite possible that there's, uh, so what, 7 billion people on this planet that somebody else also came up with that same thought? Or do you think you're the only one that, that came up with that thought? No, we, right. there's multiple people that come up with the same thought because we share in the mental reservoir of the mental universe. If, if all is mine and mine is all, then we all are sharing in that same thought. We're saying, sharing in that one mind. We're just extrapolating certain thoughts that we are able to convey or put into certain words that a, another person may not be able to put into the same words, but we're all sharing the same thought. It doesn't mean that you know more and I know less. I know less or you know more. It means that maybe in my growth and my journey, I may have a little more wisdom because of experience, time, and research, but it doesn't mean you also can't get there. So people have to understand, always go back to that part in Dr. Strange. It's not always all about you, period. That's right. That's a hard pill for people to stomach because, and again, you know, most spiritual systems that people get themselves engulfed in, it is about them, and everything they do is about them. That's why even though we always clowning and joking around, 
that people, some people, unfortunately, got to go to the extreme in whatever spirituality they're representing. You know, and we joke, like, you see, <laughs> see these cats, you know, we, we, we call it conscious bling. You know, let me, let me go to the extreme. I got to let everybody know that I'm so Egyptian and comedic and conscious that I got to wear an onk the size of fucking uh, uh, Flavor Flav's clock, or I got to wear a baseball cap with gold Egyptian bling on it, or I got to wear a uh, crystal ring that's twice the size of my hand because I'm so spiritual and conscious that my ego and my arrogance level is so high that I got to show everybody that I'm so spiritual and conscious. That's when it becomes your, your try to make it, I should say, about you. And it's not really in essence. When you look at this spiritual journey and you look at these spiritual paths that we're discussing, okay, it's not about you in the personal sense because not in the thing you're in, obviously you're at the core center of it, but there's a difference when, all right, let me give you an example. There's an old saying, fill the role, don't let the role fill you. Okay, I don't know if people understand what that means. We, we used to use this saying in the, in the, in the job world. You, you get supervisors and you get bosses that get positions of power, but they let the position of power fill them and they don't fill the position. Well, this is the same thing. When we're talking about raising yourself up, path to self-mastery, you've got to learn to take on the personification, let's say in this sense, since we're talking about Anubu or Anubis, you have to become Anubis. You understand? In the sense that, number one, you're not taking Anubis or any other archetype and externalizing it and then making it about yourself, for an example, Oh, uh, uh, Anubis or, or, or Shango or, or, or Batala heard my prayers because I did an offering. So now I'm so spiritual and special because they chose to hear my prayers and my fucking offerings. And now your ego gets tickled and you think you're so deep and connected. This is, this is how things get twisted and an individual makes it about themselves. So it's, it's not always about you. Not, not in that perspective. It's not. It's always about you in the sense where you're focused on improving yourself. That's always about that, 24-7, seven days, of, seven days a week, because you are at the core center. You are the root. But it's just the correct mindset moving forward, how you, how you work with that. All right, so what we're going to do now, take, take questions. Again, if you are on the phone, please unmute your phone. I know we say this shit every week. Uh, but unfortunately, we plug people in, and they do not have their phones unmuted. Um, if you do not have a screen name, obviously we can only refer to you by state. If you hear your state called out, speak, and if it's you, we will be able to hear you. If you are in the chat and you would like to get on the call, real simple. I know somebody had typed in earlier. I know if they're not here now, uh, they were having a hard time listening live because they were on a mobile phone. You cannot listen to the show live on a mobile phone. You won't get any sound. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. You'd have to listen on uh, a laptop or you'd have to get on, on the uh, phone live and listen. Uh, I know it works, I believe, on iPads and some tablets uh, from, from what I know. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but I know you cannot listen on a mobile phone. You won't, you won't get any sound. You can, you can download the iPod and the podcast of it, yeah, and save it in a file and listen to it, but you can't. Listen live, not not while the show is going on on the phone. 
Uh, so just wanted to throw that out there. Um, if you are in the chat and you would like to get on the call, and again, we're not going to stay on too long tonight, uh, just due to a busy schedule tomorrow. Um, we're going to wrap this up shortly. Um, you can go to the bottom of your chat screen. You'll see the call in number, 724-444-7444. Then it's going to ask you for a call ID. That call ID is 134778-POUND. And then it's going to ask you for a PIN number. Just uh, hit the number one in the pound symbol, and that will get you live uh, on the phone if you are interested in asking a question. So I haven't said that. Uh, I'm going to bring in first and foremost, bring in my good brother, Jack Charles. What's going on, brother yo, Jack? Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, what up, yo? What's going on? Hotep, brother. Hotep, Alafia, Assalamu alaikum. Shalom, yeah, break, break, ham and bacon. Big bread, brother. Breaking color break bread. bread nickel bread, nickel bread, Hotep, <laughs> all that good shit, brother. That's what's up. What's what's good, on? man? You in the background, cuz? What's good? Chillin', brother. Chillin', brother. Chillin', brother. Chillin', chillin'. That's what's up, sure, man. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that's that pimp lamp. You heard him? He, he's yeah, yeah. Pimping. He's listening to so much Prince earlier today. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, Yo, yeah. Actually, up, actually, brother Jack, I know I know, uh, brother Mike, Seth Athena, I know you're just listening online, if you if you can hear me. Uh, I want to make sure you're going to be available for that uh, event on the 15th out on the beach. Uh, we're going to be drumming. I don't know if you had a chance to speak to Brother Mike. Yeah, I have um, to him today, but uh, well, I think he's uh, uh, it's on the 15th. That's next, I think he should be good by then. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so what's going yeah. on, Brother Jack? Talk to us, brother. Uh, The topic... Uh, I discussed with Reverend Newman about this too, but like discerning your 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 uh, strengths and your weaknesses is uh, very crucial out here. Because uh, for me, from my experience, I feel like you know sometimes you, you know your strengths. Like okay, I know I'm good at this, I'm good at that, but your weaknesses, which are supposedly supposed to be turned to your strengths eventually, is what could be hindering you in certain things in your life that you may not even know about because you know sometimes you could be blinded by you know, by the ego or whatnot, which is at certain points could be a good thing because it's more to shield you from either if it's from a trauma or whatnot, but eventually I think um, as you progress and get older and age and whatnot and wisdom that uh, eventually you have to come to a point where those need to be revealed. And it's crazy because what comes to me now is like the graveyard, like raising from the dead, you know what I mean? Like it's like something that died and is being raised from the dead and you have to deal with it, you know, or like, you know, zombie or whatever, you know, but, uh, I think uh, from my point of view, um, it's very important to really discover your weaknesses. Um, to some people, that might be scary. To some people, it might be too much. But um, I assure you that once you deal with those type of things, your perception is going to change. And as well as your perception changing, your, your, uh, your knowledge, your wisdom grows. And then you start noticing you're hitting certain targets or certain goals in life that you want to hit due to the fact that you, took, you dealt with one certain uh, uh, weakness and you turn to a strength. So, um, so your your thoughts on what's your thoughts on that, guys? What are you asking about that? I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you pretty much said it in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, everybody's you know path to that realization that you're talking about is, is obviously different. Um, everybody's going to have different struggles with it, but I think what people fail to realize in that struggle, there, there is tremendous growth. Um, and, and that's important because, like you said, as you said towards the end, you, once you get over it, you'll, you, 
spiritually you will see the difference, the results, etc. I think what people fail to realize, and I get this a lot when people first start to come on this path, um, they kind of, I don't want to say maybe, don't want to use the word complain, but their their concern is always about the type of struggles they go through in the, in the transition period. And the separation factor I, I get a lot from people is hard for them to deal with because there's a period of isolation from everything and isolation mm-hmm. from from every existence that you knew prior to indulging in this spiritual path, meaning your circle of friends changed drastically. It usually gets turned upside down. Your social circle is not the same anymore. You don't look at people the same anymore. I had one brother, actually Jason, uh, Sister Sonia's brother, who went through a uh, really heavy period of he couldn't understand why he had sometimes felt the the, the, the desire to be around people, but then getting around them people would make him sick to his stomach. What that basically is, is once you start really working with this spiritually and you start tapping into energy, uh, that's normal. You might, you, again, I, you're going to find that things you like, you might start to, to you know, to, to have a distaste for you know, you might find out people you like. You might start seeing them for really what they are. You might have thought that, hey, man, they were good people. Or you might have thought the person you thought that was fucked up starts to now, you start seeing the real true self of that person or, or who they really were, not your preconceived notion and your judgment on them. So it, it, when we say that this turns your, your world upside down, that transition period is rough. It does because it removes the illusion of everything that was self-created. Because we create, we, we kind of dictate our likes and dislikes. We basically, and not, not saying that they're always right, because sometimes our judgments are based upon the precepts of what we've been indoctrinated with. So this is where the growth process or the struggle is sometimes a little overbearing for some people to deal with. But I keep telling people, in that growth, in that quote-unquote suffering spiritually, am I just talking about uh, physically, and in that struggle is your tremendous growth periods, because how can you reap any rewards if there's no struggle or growth in it? You know an old saying, nothing good comes easy. We hear this all the time. My, my mother used to say that. Uh, nothing free is good for you, right? Everything free isn't good for you, right? See, that's a ghetto mentality. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, we're, we're taught that, you know, get what you can if it's free, Hustle. You know, everything free isn't good for you. You understand? That's just not a reality. So we want shit for free. We want shit fast. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we think there's some manual out there that's going to, you know, or some teacher or some guru or some group or some organization that I can just join, become a member, fill out the paperwork, and now now I got it made. I'm, I just bought my, purchased my ticket with my no. monthly dues into paradise. You know, you understand well, what you I'm gotta, saying? You, you got to get like this, though. Like, another thing is, like, let's say you go, to, you go to school, you go to college, whatever. You know what I mean? You're paying out of pocket. You're going to value your education. You're going to take it more seriously. Some people who are like, well, you know, you know, I have a free ride or whatever, sometimes I'm pissing in a pot and don't give a fuck, but it's just like, you're not going to offer, like, I look at that, like, paying for something is offering the experience, the struggle. Now, with that, you're going to take that more seriously, but some people want a free ride. They want that, that free ticket, man, you know, and it don't work that way. You don't get anything out yeah. of it like that. 
my question, my question to Jack Charles is, when are you going to get over that steak and shake weakness, brother? When are you going to get over that steak and shake weakness? Let me let me let me let me light a black candle for that, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, brother. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Got to do a ritual for that one. Brother. You need to take a black candle, brother, and a Heath bar shake and put it on your yeah, altar, yeah. brother, and, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. burn. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, ex- excellent points, Jack. Uh, and I'm glad I'm glad you bring that that point to the surface because. As we've said before on the show, people get to that quote-unquote fork in the road, and that's usually the determining factor. Either they're going to get over the hump and succeed, uh, and I've seen all different levels of it over the years. I've seen some people come through like champions, you know what I mean, and and get through that transition period, and then down the road uh, go on to be highly successful. Now, let me me make this clear. We never want to paint this picture. This is a process. This is not something – that that takes uh, days or weeks. This could be, oh, you know, geez. months to years. Yeah. It's an ongoing process. You know what I mean? Uh, I've seen people that get to that fork in the road and, and go completely reverse. They they got frightened, they got scared, or they just didn't want to deal with the pressures of it, and they went back to being Christian we, or whatever the fuck you know, they used you, to you be. Know, you know, let me be real, man. Let me be real. From my experience, that shit happens, but majority of people just push through it, man. They usually push through it because... You want to know that you mm-hmm. you you put you you on this path. You put yourself on this path to find an answer out. You get to a certain right. point, you just like I don't give a fuck, man. I want to know what the fuck they gotta do. You know what I'm saying? So majority of people I've seen push through it. It's usually the ones who are followers are the ones that kind of like kind of like going to you know what I'm saying. But to even to go on this path, you gotta be a leader, man. Like you gotta be a leader. You gotta be step on your own feet right. to even get into it. That's so, right. You know, it That's is what right. It is. And you're deceiving yourself if you think it's gonna be easy. Because that's what religions promise you. Religions promise you, here's the book, follow the rules, 10 10 service every week, and here's your ticket. Let me stamp your ticket to to the planet Kunasaurus, paradise, and it's not a reality. And see, that's the difference between that type of bullshit nonsense and the reality of this. The, The reality of this is when we say you're the sole governor, the sole controller, the navigator of your spirituality. There's nobody in control of this but you. So, again, which ties into when we say week in and week out, you take responsibility for your successes, but you also take responsibility for your failures. So if you're struggling, you're struggling because it's something you're not dealing with within yourself. You are always going to be the root of the problem, and you are always going to be the root of the success. And that's the difference. That's what we mean when this is about taking responsibility. Now, you hear this term, people always say, this is why I always ask people that quote-unquote claim to be conscious, and the, the, the phrase has been thrown around now for years, I'm a god, I'm a goddess. Stop. Anytime you hear that, if you really want to start an interesting conversation with somebody that's quote-unquote conscious and uses that phrase, I'm a god or I'm a goddess, stop them in their tracks and ask them, can you define to me in your own words, what does it mean to you? to be a god or a goddess if it's a female. You're going to get the old program, mundane shit that they read out of a book. You're going to get, oh, original this and that, original kings and queens. All right, I didn't ask ask for the mundane definition that everybody knows about. Because to me, when somebody answers in that that perspective, it shows that they're they're systematically programmed like a Bible-toting Christian systematically programmed week in and week out in the church. It's no different. Just because you're, you're using 
black terminology and black conscious concepts and you're painting Africa and blackness on it, doesn't mean you're not systematically still under me- mental slavery. So all that Alafia, Hotepin, Ashe shit, that, that shit don't impress me. You understand what I'm saying? Because I don't look at the look externally. I'm listening to what's coming out of the mouth, and I'm seeing what's in the heart and the mind because that's going to determine to me where you're at and if you really know what the fuck you're talking about. But ask that person in their own words to them, define what being a god and goddess is. And you're going to find out. You're going to get some fucking crazy-ass answers. You know, and that's crazy. It was funny. Like, through all my years, bro, I'm being 100 with everybody on listening right now. Through all my years doing this, it's the ones who are like, who act like that are the most screwed up people. They're the ones who are just right. like, they're broke, their their life is in shambles, and, or they're like, right. wherever they go through something, they leave a trail of like, of like, broken relationships and some messed up shit behind them, bro. Like, Brother, you must got ESPN, brother. You must got ESPN, brother. Re- <laughs> reason real, why man. I'm saying that, I know you had stepped away earlier and just came back in, but we, we mentioned that earlier. I was well, talking about did. that. That's right. <laughs> real. That's right. And you hit it on the head. It's always those over-spiritualized motherfuckers. They're usually the most jacked the fuck up. And they, like you said, they're usually in fucked up predicaments and situations. And they they mask their over spirituality, and they will you know the ones they gotta profess to everybody what they know. They're covering some personal <laughs> you, emotional you, drama. You, you know, I, they call are, them, I, call covered, them, I call them master photo well, meditators. That's what I call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exactly, and, and those are the ones that are running from from issues, and they gotta over conceptualize everything. They always gotta get you know that's the motherfucker that always. After you get a build on something, he's got to give you, you know, a deeper build. Or they got to have yeah. the last word. Or because the last word to them signifies that they're more intelligent. You know, all, that, all, all those behaviors are the signs of an individual that's suffering from emotional trauma. That's all that that shit is. And it just, it, that is a vessel for them to cover up other bullshit that they're not dealing with. And they think that that's going to fix it. But really, it's compounding it. It's making it worse. And that resistance is creating, as we say, a stronger persistence for it to emerge. So, anyway. Well, I'm going to jump kinda, two, two things to anybody out there. If you, if you guys feel like you're, you're like that or you feel like we're talking about you, work with Kali. That'll, that'll get you straight on that, man. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Got to get your mind right on that, man. That's it. And, uh. Yo, I'm about to get off the phone, though, but, yo, appreciate it. All right. We appreciate it, Brother Jack. For sure. All right. We're going to take a cool, couple more calls, and I'll, I'll be in touch. I'll give you a buzz tomorrow, man. All right. No doubt. Sorry, All, right, all right. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Seth Aston, shout out, brother. Shout out, brother. Okay. Got to shout him out like you're a thug and shit. You know, be a conscious thug, man. I think I'm going to start a new movement. I'm going to call it. Conscious thug. I'm, uh, we're going to dress up as hip hoppers and wear conscious bling, and use hip hop lingo, and you know pretend like we're conscious, but we're going to be conscious thugs. Okay. All right, we'll take a couple more calls. Uh, just one or two more. And we're going to wrap this thing up uh, again uh, due to a busy schedule tomorrow. Um, so let's uh, Texas Trio. You're going to be last, so you'll be that second call. We're going we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to bring her in to fluff it up a little bit. All right, uh, let me see if I got somebody here. uh, This one just says North Central Texas. Anybody there from North Central Texas? 
Anybody there from North Central Texas? Going once, going twice, going three times. All right, nobody there. All right, let me uh, try this one here. Southwest Florida. Anybody there from Southwest Florida? Southwest Florida. All right, nobody there. All right, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in Tree Hugger. Can you hear me? Greetings. 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 All right. I don't know if people had their phone mute. All right, you're the last one. Uh, we we, we kind of pretty much run out of time due to a busy schedule, so I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what you got for us? Talk to us. Well, the one thing that came to mind um, when you were talking about the power of the, I mean, you were talking about the colors and black being a very powerful color. One of the things that I've noticed uh, in some of my dealings is that um, whenever you go into a courtroom, all the judges wear black robes. Right. And That's right. That is um, very interesting. Mm. That's a good point. You bring, you bring that up. I never really looked at it, uh, you know, until you uh, brought that up in the perspective. Yeah, I mean... We got to pay attention to stuff like that, or you know, on this path, because as, as you know, over over the, over the uh, course of the, that we've been doing the show, colors and symbols are very critical on this path in understanding rituals, um, because they project certain levels of consciousness to the subconscious mind. So that's that's it. I mean, because the judge holds a quote unquote holds a seat of authority, uh, and we know it's basically a chess game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it's a back and forth process, and it's uh, you know it's uh, offense defense. You know you got the prosecution and the defense. It's basically a fucking game when you look at it. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a good point though. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. Um, I know you got the email. I, I got the, I, I did see your email back uh, after we sent the file, so that's that's pretty cool about the. Uh, you know, the drum sound that you were describing. Um, the other file was cloud. I was going to send you the one from the last one. It didn't come out clear. It kind of sounded muffled, so I didn't bother sending that one because um, we had it, we had it in a couple of different files. Actually, uh, Brother Mike had recorded it. Um, so that's the only reason why I didn't send that other one. It just, to me, it doesn't sound right. It's not clear. It's kind of muffled. So you don't get a good vibe. You know, you don't get a good sound from it. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, anything else you got for us, Texas Tree um, Hugger? Well, I'm just, you know, still hugging those trees, and I just wanted to add that I don't have very much to say. I'm just one of a few words right now, and I want to thank you, by the way, for sending uh, that mm-hmm. that no audio. Problem. And the drumming was phenomenal, by the way. The drumming was phenomenal. Yeah, so hopefully you can come live. It's even nicer when you see it, when you hear it live. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully down the road we'll get to see you. And uh, we'll go from there. But as usual, we appreciate you calling, tuning in. And uh, we will talk to you next week. You're going to be our last word. That's your role on the show, man. Last word. You're the last call <laughs> tonight. All right? Yeah, I wish, yeah, definitely so. I've been working hard today. so um, you know, Yeah, I'm you sound. I can hear it. I can, I, I can hear it in your voice. You definitely sound, uh, uh, you know, you need, like, to get re-energized. I can hear it. That's all right. We all have our days. We're entitled to it. Absolutely. So we'll, and, and that's we'll what, talk. I, you know, Brother Ravon and you were talking about, that we have our up days, we have our down days, but we have to mm-hmm. still 
work through no them. No doubt. And, no doubt. And that's what this is all about. Just that's it. Work, working through it. So. Well, you got it. You go get yourself reju- rejuvenized, and we'll talk to you next week, all right? All right. Likewise to you. All right. Thank you. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. We appreciate everybody tuning in again. Any information uh, on the ritual for the 28th, event on the 29th, the uh, drumming on the beach on the 15th, next Saturday. Again, you can email us, khnum19 at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel to contact me also, uh, Mother Nubia Inc. Uh, you can also go to Mother Nubia Inc. Google Plus channel. It has all the archived radio shows uh, for Awakening Universal Minds, and the link will take you right here to the show here on TalkShoe.com. Um, and, again, you can also contact me here at khnum19 at gmail.com. Brother Ravana, know what you got? All right. Uh, you can all hit me up at Ravana uh, Noon, R-A-V-A-N-A-N-U-N at Outlook.com. Once again, that's Ravana Noon, Outlook.com, or go on to my YouTube page, Dark Cultist 99, which ties you to my Google Plus page, Dark Cultist 99. That's about it. Peace. All right. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, so we're going to keep this show strict on the two-hour time limit tonight, uh, just due to a busy schedule. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, again, if you are going to attend the ritual on the 28th, we do need a head count, so please do not show up if you did not put yourself on the list. Very important. Uh, simply follow instructions, uh, simple instructions to follow. Um, so, again, you can email at the email address that I gave, khnum19 at gmail.com. We appreciate everybody tuning in, and we will see you next week, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Peace. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.